Good morning again. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verse 10 is the beginning. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say... She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. This is God's word. Have you noticed this? That every major decision you make brings a new set of challenges into your life. Maybe you've gotten a new job from time to time. A new circumstance. New decision brings new circumstances and maybe new challenges. Learning the culture of a new work environment. Dealing with a different type of boss. uh, Dealing with different regulations. uh, Different types of deadlines. Uh, Maybe you've gotten married and you've discovered that the most important decision of your life brought along with it new circumstances, new challenges, learning how to relate to another family, to your in-laws. Maybe maybe you decided to start having a family and children come along, new circumstances, new decisions, new challenges, new threats that you now have to deal with, that you never had to worry about before. Maybe you've just moved, right? Maybe you've changed location because of work or, like Abraham, you got a vision of a new life or something. Uh, Even with moving, and Becky and I can relate to that, just a few years ago, we moved to Carroll County, we moved to Westminster, and we believed God was calling us to that move. We believed that move was an act of faith. It was a faith response to years of prayer, And so we moved. And yet, although we were responding in faith, moving to a new place brought along with it many new dynamics, new circumstances, new social dynamics, new challenges for us, for our children, dealing with a new school system, uh, dealing with uh, different regulations in the homeowners association that we are now in, what you can and can't do with your house, what you can and can't allow your children to do in the yard and in the street. Social customs, 
social assumptions and expectations that people have in different regions of the world, even different parts of our country, even different communities within our state of Maryland. Every major decision brings along with it a new set of challenges. And how will you respond to those challenges? Now, when God told Abram and Sarai to go as immigrants, we read about this last week when our series in Genesis began, starting in chapter 12. When God told Abram and Sarai to go, they went. God basically said to Abram, I am going to bless you. And I am going to give you a family and I am going to bless your family. And through your family, I'm going to bless all of humanity. And we're told that Abram got up with Sarai, with all their people, and they went. But new circumstances brought new challenges. They got to Canaan and the first threat that faced them led to a decision. And that decision led to another decision. And by the time the whole ordeal is finished, the Egyptians are begging for them to go away. Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, it's called the Hall of Faith. You've heard of the Hall of Fame. Well, Hebrews 11 is the Hall of Faith. And and in Hebrews 11, it says, this one did this by faith. And by faith, that one did that. Um, Actually, Abram, Abraham and Sarah are mentioned more in the hall of faith than anyone else. Even more than Moses is mentioned, the hall of faith takes up a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of uh, page space just talking about Abraham and Sarah. But from this account that we've just read, it seems that they still had a lot to learn about living by faith. And I want to ask you a question. I want to open it up and hear what your response is. What is faith? What actually is faith? And you can give me as simple and practical and real world answers as you would like. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to quote scripture. Uh, It doesn't have to be a Sunday school answer. Anything you think. What, practically speaking, is faith? Faith, so faith is something that no one in their right mind would ever believe in. Okay. What else? What do you think? I'm interested to hear what people think faith means because the word's used a lot, even in our culture. Yeah. Okay, so you're, 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 making a, you're distinguishing between uh, belief and action. Faith is believing that a chair will support you, but then actually sitting in it. Okay. All right. So faith should have some type of a, of a, of a, of a fruit, of an outflowing. There should be some kind of a response if the faith is genuine. Is that okay? All right. Yeah. Somebody else? You're just scratching your elbow. Yeah. Okay, so you use the word faithful. So there's faith and then there's faithfulness. So there's an aspect of responding to your faith over time. 
Okay, thank you for that. That's good, making a distinction, too, between faith and faithful. Yeah. Okay. Great. So faith should have an object. You have to have faith in something or someone, not just, hey, I've got faith. Well, unless there's something you're putting your faith in, you're really kind of leaving yourself hanging. Okay. Any more thoughts? What is faith? Faith and trust. Very close connection between the two. Faith, a channel that connects us to God and his promises. And you're, you're associating faith and trust, which sounds similar to what Jonathan was saying about if you believe a chair will support you, you will sit in it. Yeah. Believing in God when... So faith is believing in God when there, humanly speaking, may, no, be, may be no reason for it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, one more. So, so biblical faith is not just blindly believing in stupidity. Biblical faith is rationally acknowledging that there is something to believe in. Okay, good. Because Jonathan isn't just saying, I believe that the air around me will support me. And because I believe that, I'm going to fall backwards and be supported by nothing. No, Jonathan knows by good reason that there's a chair that's been designed well enough to hold him. Okay, good. So, so the, the world may look at your faith and say, you're a moron. Who would ever believe that? But as you look at the object of your faith, there is good reasoning behind why you believe that. Good. Okay, good. Yeah, there has to be a balance there with the tension. Well done. One of my professors in seminary defined faith this way. He said, faith is agreement with God. I just want you to think about that today. Faith is agreement with God. And think about it. Test it. It works. Anything in your life. Faith is agreement with what God is doing and what God has said. And walking with God, as you see, Abram and Sarah are learning to do this. Walking with God means learning to trust him. The more you walk with him, the more you can learn to trust him. And what I want to do today is look at what Abram actually did. What God did. And then as a result, I hope we can learn what we're supposed to do. What Abram did, what God did. And what we must do. <laughs> what Abram did basically was take matters into his own hands. There's a series of responses that we see in Abram in particular. The first response, uh, the first decision he makes, makes a lot of sense to us. 
says there was a severe famine. So he's in Canaan now. And in Canaan, uh, Canaan depended upon rain all right, for, for, for herds to do well, uh, for, lives, for livestock, for agriculture. The land of Canaan, uh, Palestine basically, needed rain. Egypt had the Nile. So while a famine may have not affected Egypt, it did affect the land of Canaan. And so it just makes sense, right? You get up and you move again. You're immigrants again. You're on the road again. You're moving to another strange place. And they're in Egypt. It seems plausible. But the way Abram responded to another challenge, um, that's where the problems begin. Because Abram had to respond to Pharaoh's reputation. Abram had a reason to be concerned. And so what Abram does is he, he devises a trick that hinges on a minor technicality. And he says to Sarai, look, let's, let's, we're just going to say when we get there, we're going to say we're siblings. Okay? You're attractive. I want to stay alive. We're going, there's a, they have a reputation down there. They're, they're going to go after you. They're going to get rid of me to get to you. Let's just say that we're siblings. Now, you may be wondering, just maybe. Now, Sarai, at this point, if you read further in Genesis, you finally get to a point where they give you Sarah's age in relationship to Abram's. Okay? And you can backtrack. You discover Sarai, Sarai is at least 65 years old right now. You may be wondering, so a 65-year-old woman... Uh, seeming so desirable uh, that her husband is going to be worried that the king is going to go after her. Uh, how is that the case? Well, look, in our society, we often associate beauty with youth and, and with you know, physical appearance, physical fitness, physical per- perfection. Don't assume that the ancients thought of things that way. And if... Reg- Whatever the Genesis author, probably Moses, is doing with the record of people's lifespan, uh, you will notice that Sarah is basically halfway through her life. It's not unreasonable uh, to consider the fact that Sarai was a striking woman. And the proof of it is when they get to Egypt, that's exactly what happens. Sarai is noticed. And through, through the chain of command, through, through the arteries of what they did back then, Pharaoh found out about her beauty, and he brought her into his harem, basically. Mel Brooks once said, it's good to be the king. And this is exactly what he meant. The king gets what he wants. And Pharaoh apparently got what he wanted. And so the way one scholar puts it is this way. Uh, Abram, we're not told what Sarai thinks about this. Even if she was complicit, I don't, she was either complicit and even if she wasn't complicit as a woman, what choice did she have in a situation like that, right? Uh, But the way one scholar puts it is, is this, the mentality that the couple embraces is better defiled than dead. You know, people and families develop habitual responses to threat and conflict. You notice this in your family, right? When, when, something, goes, when something happens, you, you go into a crisis, everybody has a different, different approach. Imagine your family, the family you grew up with, all your siblings, uh, and if, if it was just you, then maybe you and your parents or your, your nuclear family. Uh, what happened when crisis struck, struck? Imagine you're all on a pirate ship 
one friend of mine once told me. What happens when a threat comes? Well, one person gets behind the cannon and is ready to fire. Another person starts ordering everybody around thinking that he's the captain. Another person runs beneath the deck and hides. Uh, We all kind of have knee-jerk reactions to conflict and to threat. Well, apparently, this, this is not the only time Abram did this. This was kind of Abram's way of, of dealing with conflict and dealing with threats. This whole sister trick, it was his habitual response. If you go further on into Genesis, read Genesis chapter 20, he did it again. But that time it was with King Abimelech of Gerar. Very similar thing happened. And uh, when King Abimelech said, hey, what gives? You told me this woman was your sister. It turns out she's your wife. This is how Abram, he was called Abraham by then. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, Yeah. Uh, So at the time in Genesis 20, this was Abram's response to another king whom he had tried to ruse in the same way. Actually, I'll put it up here for you. He said to Abimelech, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. So they were siblings. They're half siblings. Right? That's the technicality. They're half-siblings. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, that's so gross. Look, this is centuries before the Mosaic Law instituted that there should be no incestuous marital relationships. Abe and Sarai, they they were raised as pagans. His father, Terah, they were all worshiping other gods. Uh, Abram and Sarai couldn't become members of our church at that point, at that point in their lives. Okay? Just have some patience with them. Um, so, and here's the thing. You can't miss the point of the passage because if all you're focusing on is the fact that two half-siblings married each other, if that's what you're going to come away with today, you're missing the point of why this is recorded in Scripture. Don't miss the point that Abram's response to threats was deception. I'm in, a, I'm in a difficult situation. I'm being threatened. I'm going to deceive. I'm going to think quick and come up with a ruse. I'm going to tell a half-truth. Now, what did that lead to? Arguably, it led to Sarai's sexual defilement. We're not told, but it's very reasonable to assume what was going on if she was taken into Pharaoh's harem. Possibly... Sarai's sexual defilement. Definitely, God brings plagues on the Egyptians, particularly on Pharaoh's household. And this is all happening as Abe gets richer. Because you see that because of Sarai, Pharaoh blesses Abram with with more servants and more livestock. And Abram's getting richer and richer. And it's really ironic, actually. Uh, God had promised... Abram, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. But by Abram's nearsighted self-management, he was proving to be a curse. Deception, disease, 
defilement, disgrace, and plunder. This is what Abram brings to Egypt, who had received the promise from God that he would be a blessing to all families on earth. He shows up, deception, disease, defilement, disgrace, plunder, to the point where they practically begged him to leave. Just take your wife and get out of here, please. It wouldn't be the last time uh, that this couple would try to protect God's promise by taking matters into their own hands. Now notice Abram, Abram's doing all the, talk, the talking at this point. Abram's doing all the initiating, all the acting, all the speaking, while God seems to be remaining silent. Now, what does God do? Well, the only thing the text tells us that God is actively doing is what? Cursing the Egyptians. <laughs> the Egyptians. That's what we thought. The Lord brought plagues upon Pharaoh's household. Now, you don't need to feel sorry for Pharaoh and his household. As though God is somehow inflicting them unjustly with curses while he's letting Abram become richer and richer. Look, um, The situation here is equally the result of Pharaoh's household exploiting women and abusing their power. So so nothing unjust is happening to Pharaoh and his household. But by plaguing the Egyptians, what do we see? We see a very important thing that you can't miss today. God keeps his promises. Because God cursing anybody that crossed Abram was exactly his promise to Abram. We read, we read last week, the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. God had said to Abram, I want you to go. I want you to leave everything you know and everyone you know and go to a place that I'll, sh- I'll reveal to you in the future and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The curses were just as much a part of God's promise as the blessings. So God made good on his promise to curse anybody who posed to be a threat to Abram and his family and the seed of promise. So wouldn't it also be true that God would have made good on his promise to bless Abram? But Abram didn't see it. Abram was just worried about who's going to curse me, who's going to hurt me, who's going to hurt us. Forgetting the fact that God had said, I am going to bless you. And actually, the only redeeming aspect to the whole fiasco is that through all of this, through Abram's unwillingness to trust the words of God, God still protects him and Sarai anyway. And he still blesses them. They leave Egypt with more more resources than they had when they got there, escaping a famine. And they left with their lives. They were still alive. Regardless of what had happened, they were intact. They were together. And they were moving on. Walking with God. um, The thing you begin to learn when you walk with the God of the Bible is despite your lack of faith, he protects you. Despite the mess you make of your life and the lives of the people around you, God still blesses you. Have you ever been driving in the car and after about a half an hour, you arrive at your destination and you go, 
how did I even get here? You, you, you ever drive on kind of autopilot and all of a sudden you go, oh my, uh, I've been thinking about all of these things. I haven't been paying attention to where I've been going and somehow I managed to get to my destination safely in one piece. I didn't hurt anybody else, but I have been paying any attention, thinking about this, thinking about that. Thank God I'm alive. Thank God no one else is hurt. You can do that spiritually. You can go through your life, maybe for days or for weeks, maybe for years on autopilot, not aware of the impact you're having, not aware of the lives you're affecting by your decisions. And you finally wake up and go, oh, my goodness, how am I even still alive right now? How have I not alienated every single person in my life? God has been with he has been protecting me all along. Part of walking by faith with this God of the Bible is, is looking back and going, wow, I don't deserve to be here right now. And God has been faithful to me all this time. Now, if that's you, because that, that is me, I have acted and spoken and done things uh, that, that should have compromised my existence, compromised my relationships, compromised the trust and responsibilities that have been given to me. And all I could say is, wow, God was looking out for me when I was unaware of the damage that I was bringing upon other people or the damage that I was bringing upon myself. So if that's you also, this is an opportunity for you to thank God for protecting you. And despite what you've done and despite what you've said and despite the way you've been acting or despite the way you've been living, this is an opportunity for you to recognize, wow, God really has blessed me. The Heidelberg Catechism was written in the 1560s in Germany. But it's, it's quite a beautiful little catechism. And the very first question goes like this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Now think about that. How would Abram at the moment and Sarai have answered this question? What is your only comfort in life and in death? And this is the catechism's answer. It's long, but I think it's worth it. That I am not my own. That I am not my own. But belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. For us, walking with the God of the Bible is really no different than it was for Abram and Sarai. Learning to trust him in all circumstances. Not just when he says, hey, I got a wonderful plan for your life. I'm going to bless you. 
And anyone gets in your way, I'm going to snuff them out. And I'm just going to take care of you and your descendants. And everybody's going to be blessed through you. Everybody loves it when God's the doting mother. But when God's the tough love parent, it's harder to trust him. As some of you said, and I'll put it in different language, faith, the kind of faith the Bible talks about, the kind of faith that Christianity describes, is not just belief. It's not just credence to a set of propositional truths. God is this. God is that. The world is this. I am that. It is, it is all of that. But it's so much more. As Jonathan said, you've got to sit in the chair. As someone else, I think it was Cynthia said, uh, f- faith has to be connected to real trust. You have to start trusting in the specific things that this God has said. I will bless you. I will bless you. And through you, I will bless others. Learning to trust him in all circumstances. Faith really is this. It's not just credence to a, bunch, to a set of beliefs, but the set of beliefs has to do something to you. Faith, biblical faith, Christian faith, is the transformation of your will. So that you can now say, ah, God has said this, God has done this, therefore I will, I will do this. Therefore, I will think this way. The very transformation of your will. So have you been taking matters into your own hands? Let's make this real. Think think of what you've been living through and dealing with. Have you been taking matters in your life into your own hands? Like Abram, have you been relying on your wisdom? Relying on your good reasoning? Your tried and true, proven habits, your scheming in order to protect yourself, in order to protect your people, your assets. Like Abram, has that made matters worse? Has that complicated things for you, for the people you're trying to protect? Has it made the lives of the people around you worse? Has anyone begged you to get out of their life? The movie, the, uh, the animated feature film Megamind was, was uh, something that came out almost, probably a decade ago now, and I really enjoyed it, starring Will Ferrell and Tina Fey and Brad Pitt. And it's, it's a really interesting story about how a classic bad guy, you know, a classic villain has a heart transformation and actually becomes the hero. It's a really neat kind of redeeming theme. But there's something pernicious in the message. There's, there's something so subtle and it's very American. And they just slip it into most movies now. And they slip it into our lives, the gatekeepers of our culture. At the end of the movie, the narrator says this, I guess destiny is not the path given to us, but the path we choose for ourselves. Well, that sounds good when you get the guy or you get the girl or you get your job or you get out of town safely or you get richer. That sounds really good. But that's exactly what you see. That's exactly what Abram's been doing now. 
He's become the master of his own destiny. He's choosing his own path in order to protect himself and the people that he loves. The Bible says just the opposite. What did we read together at the beginning of today's service from Proverbs 3? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your, your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will heal. It will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So what Abraham, what Abram did was take matters into his own hands. What God did was nonetheless remain faithful to his word to Abram and Sarai. Now what you and I need to do is learn to trust in the words and the actions of Abram's great descendant. This all points to one descendant that would come from Abram and Sarai. And that's where all of Genesis is going to lead us to as we explore it together. Jesus of Nazareth, just like his ancestor Abram, um, just like Abram, Jesus, after receiving clarity and blessing from God the Father, was put into a very difficult situation. If you read the Gospels, especially well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, you learn that after Jesus was baptized in order to initiate his public ministry, the Spirit of God came down upon him in the presence of everyone, and a voice from the heavens echoed and said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. If there isn't a greater blessing than that. Uh. And the Gospels tell us that immediately after that, the Spirit of God sent Jesus into the wilderness where he fasted, being picked on and tempted by Satan for 40 days. So you have this great blessing. The skies open up. You are my beloved son. I am well pleased with you. Now I want you to go into the desert for 40 days, and get heckled by the accuser. And that's exactly what happened. Matthew tells us, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days, you talk about a famine. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You're hungry, you're in harm's way, just eat something, you can do it. But Jesus was not like his ancestor Abram in the most important way. In that moment, he trusted in what his God had said. Jesus' response to Satan was in Matthew chapter 4, It is written, see that, see, faith has an object. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This was Jesus's mantra. This is how he lived his life. This is what it meant for him to get up in the morning and to work through his day. It was relying on the words of his heavenly father. And he proved that it was true because the night before he would be executed 
willingly giving himself up for the sins of the world, he asked God to come up with another plan. And he said in the garden while he was sweating, literally sweating blood from anxiety, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. Left up to Abram, you and I and all peoples would be cursed forever. Do you see that now? There are no heroes in the book of Genesis. You're going to see it again and again. Yeah, he made the hall of faith, but he's not a hero. If it were up to him, if it were up to me, if it were up to you, we'd all be cursed forever. But thankfully, it was never up to Abram in the first place. It was always in God's hands. It is always up to our creator. As we read also Paul's words to Timothy. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And that's really the proof that the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ offers us. That our only hope in life and in death are the words of God. And the words of God fulfilled. The actions of God and the words of God come together beautifully in Jesus. Who proved to us that God does what he promises to do. So receive the blessings of God by receiving Jesus. If you've never done that before. Just do something simple and say, Jesus, I'm going to start trusting you. I'm going to start walking with you. And the things you say and the things that you have done, I'm going to believe that they are true and that they are good and that they are better than my own wisdom in any situation, in every circumstance. And that's what it means to live by faith. You begin walking with the God of the Bible and through every step, through every circumstance, even the challenging and hairy ones, you start saying, you have said this, Jesus, and I believe it. And I'm going to trust you now and not take matters into my own, my own hands. Walking with God means learning to trust him. This is a lesson that Abram and Sarai are going to have to learn. And it's going to take them, you will see, decades to learn it. And it's going to take their kids and their grandkids and their descendants centuries to learn it. So let's learn it with them. In hindsight, that Jesus Christ fulfilled God's promises to Abram and Sarai. So trust in God's, whatever you're dealing with right now, whatever you've been through, trust in God's sovereign ability to protect you and begin to thank him for how he's blessed you all along, even if you haven't been aware of it. Despite the mistakes, look at how well he's taking care of you. And if you don't think he's good, and if you don't think he has taken care of you, you please come and see me and we'll talk about it. For now... Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. Thank you that although we are faithless and although as we have legitimate concerns about the problems we faith, we fail to trust you. Thank you for remaining faithful. And in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would enable us to walk with you by faith. Amen.